podcast. Getting a book transitioned into a short film. And what I found fascinating is that it was about what you've been around, the relationship between cops and gangsters in Chinatown. Well, this is the uh, sociopolitics of Chinatown in the 70s, where the gangs really ruled the neighborhood. Cops were corrupt and brutal. You know, so all this kind of emotionalism was going on, and the neighborhood was growing and changing. Real colorful times. You had some experiences in the past with that. I mean, you may not have been around in the 70s the way Henry was. Maybe uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I wasn't much in Chinatown. I was more in the new Chinatown, Flushing. Okay. And I, what I witnessed was a lot of the local gangs uh, from Chinatown were going to Flushing for, like, I don't know, more prosperity, uh, you know, more the hot spots and everything like that. So a lot of rumors were like, oh, shit, Chinatown gangs are coming here. Right. Stuff like that. So a lot of the Queens boys were a little bit timid. Um, but yeah, some of my friends were in those gangs um, and stuff like that. So yeah, I witnessed it. You know, just before it died down with, I think Giuliani killed it all. For sure, he yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, one of those uh, the three strike rule, and uh, once once you get three arrests, you're you're done. And they were and they're a massive hiring. Oh yeah, uh, of police officers. And I remember just. Being a kid playing basketball outside on the courts, I would no matter which basketball court I was in New York City, I would always see cops everywhere. I would go, especially when I go down to the subways to go from one basketball court up to a different part of uh, Manhattan. Cops everywhere, mm-hmm. so it was unavoidable, right? In a good way or a bad way, depending on you know who you are and what you do. Um, but those experiences, living through that. Mm-hmm help you create this short film and envision it? Because it seems like it's... Uh, can, can I say that uh, it's successful? It might be. I, I don't think it did too well in the film festivals. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I mean, this could be a lot of reasons. It could be too long. Maybe it wasn't good enough. Or, uh, you know, or times have changed. I don't know. But luckily, it got shown at uh, Disorient, Houston. Uh, it's showing at DC right now. Today's the last day. All virtual. So we haven't had a in-person screening to see to people's reaction um but I, we did talk me and henry had a chance to talk to the festival director at disorient and what was amazing about it she got the story she was like wow i never seen a chinese american not asian chinese american male protagonist portrayed that way and she was just blown away by perry's uh role and tie just playing these father figures and how you relate to her like with her past and her parents so she's like, really want to talk to us more about that. But, of course, in the Zoom interview, they have other filmmakers. So we had to cut it short. But to see someone engaged by that, I think I felt, well, we accomplished something. That's good. Um, so right now we're still waiting for other uh, considerations at film festivals. and But we're excited that we are having our first New York premiere here with ACV at the Asian American International Film Festival. And it is going to be in person. Congratulations to the both of you. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about it too. We've uh, shown, as Patrick said, we've shown in Eugene, Oregon, Houston, now Washington, and oh yeah, and, and coming Canada. to Montreal. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, people are picking up on it, and I think are, I think you guys are being humble. Yeah, you guys, I mean, there's a lot of festivals. You guys, uh, yeah, and and you know what? I I mean, I think there is an appetite out there. 
I think people want to get a, a, a little window just to look at what Chinatown was like on the other side, the underworld, mm-hmm. right? And I, I just find it fascinating that you both collaborated on this project since you've seen what it was like in the 70s and 80s and you with the 90s and 2000s. Was there any challenge to kind of represent that story the way you both intended to? Um, I don't think so. I think it's the same. I mean, like with the characteristics of gangs or gangs, you know, and Chinese is Chinese. It's like it's very tradition, very mindset oriented. It's meaning like all Chinese men are they, they act the same, you know, gambling, attitude, ego. But the really hard part was Chinatown itself, capturing the essence of that era because it's really gentrified here. You know, we got Starbucks. You know, we got Vietnamese. I'm not Vietnamese. Uh, Korean food here. So just capturing the locations of that time, that's really difficult. I mean, Chinatown Fair doesn't even look like Chinatown Fair. Um, so location was the tough part to get that Henry story, you know. You mentioned early on that you were very close to the violence, mm-hmm. uh, very close to, I guess you have front row seats to the show, <laughs> right? And, and, and uh, what was that like growing up and seeing these gangs? Was it as tough as people think it is? Or is it a lot milder? I wish I was not in the front row. I wish I was taking the back row, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I witnessed that because I got picked on by Asian gangs. And I hated it. Uh, I'll say it was, it was, I got picked on by ghost shadows. Uh, my parents said, stay away from them. Don't go to pool halls. Uh, you can get in trouble. But I just want to shoot pool. So I was with my white friend. And I did not connect with any Asian people at all. Because uh, I, I live in Queens, so it's very kind of suburban really white you know uh not now it's like it's really diverse so i got picked on and i hated that feeling i hated that feeling of just being powerless um not able to defend myself and next you know like a year or two later i was like i just gotta make more connections and i met someone who's like hey i'm in this game you want to hang with our crew you want to roll this and i was like yeah why not this but it wasn't just joining again it was just building that friendship just try to connect to more people so I started hanging out Flushing more and at first it was just a bunch of teenagers from freshman high school sophomore high school um, hanging out at the pool halls arcades um, rocking the beepers that we were talking about before cell phones you know we had to carry a bunch of quarters just to connect to people it's like hey Will uh, we're at so and so come down it's like you know whatever and if you can't find the people you know where they're going to be at they're going to be at that pool hall all the time cutting school and then it got worse. It got a little competitive. Uh, more gangs were like trying to go over each other's territories, like um, Ghost Shadows, MMP, Flying Dragons. It was just getting a little bit ridiculous. And it was so just, all of those gangs were in Queens, Flushing, because was, a lot of people think of Chinatown gangs. They think of New York City, Chinatown, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They don't think about Queens. I mean, and this is happening in a suburb in Queens. You're, you're saying. I mean, Flushing, it's not what is this now. I mean, before it was very Jewish, and I think it went from Taiwanese to Korean. Now it's uh, Fujian people living there. And it's very, very, you know, Chinatown-like. But, um, yeah, I mean, there was a movie out there, Revenge of the Green Dragons, which some of our friends were in it. So there are some Queens gangs in Elmhurst. But Flushing, it was uh, transitioning. They were called the, the Queens Ghost Shadow, you know. So they were located there, and then... Uh, there was the TB Taiwanese boys. 
Were they um, all made up of the same members in New York City, Manhattan, Chinatown, or was they just like a like a some a separate sector? Uh, some se- separate sector. Like from what I remember, there was some gang lieutenants. They're like, well, if you're in fl- Flushing, why don't you get your own boys? Like, we'll give you ten, you know, ten langjais. So they did that. So What's langjai for for people? Listening? Uh, soldiers. Okay. You know, like foot soldiers, uh, people just do the grunt work, you know, um, collect extortion or beat up that person. Um, you looked at my growth differently, whatever, which is most of the case. I'm like, just staring problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like mostly uh, it was ghost shells first. And then it started drifted because uh, from what I heard, like there was a gang called uh, TB and then they broken up and then they started either joining ghost shadows some maybe White Tigers and then some to uh, MMP, this new gang. Uh, MMP was staying Moming Pie, means uh, no-name gang, because they didn't have a name. And you can tell because they're always dressed in black. That was their first rule. Black pants, black shirt, you know? So, uh, and Ghost Shadow was like, you had to dress a little bit of red and stuff just to color code yourself, like which gang you were from, uh, even the hair color. Uh, and I remember uh, it was very popular. Bangs up to here, to the chest, you know, <laughs> shaved head. You know, if the undercut, yeah, yeah, with the mushroom haircut, or um, eventually, I think they had like the shaved top, but the long front. Yeah, it's like right, it's yeah. like freaking Guile from Street Fighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Did, did the haircut like signify like which specific gang a person would belong to? No, not really. But it, it, it did tell people, oh, you're a, you're a phagia, you're a meaning, uh, you're a bad boy you know like, like you're a gangster most of them look like this most of them have this type of hairstyle hair color because they all kind of even they i would even say the accent some of them would speak a certain way and you would kind of get an idea of yeah. where they were so it was like a uniform almost almost but even they everyone had like a certain way of speaking right yeah of course i mean you can tell people from brooklyn from chinatown right uh, but clothing wise it's it's funny uh you can tell if they're from Chantel or FD because they were taper pants. That they were tight. Right. Because Queens lot, they were rocking the jinkos, like the loose fit, like the wide legs. Baggy the, jeans. Yeah, to cover your feet. And, um, you know, our parents would be saying, wow, they mate, yeah. Like, are you mopping the floor with those yeah. pants? You know, but it was easy to carry like machetes and baseball bats in the there. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. It was functional. Uh, it was functional. <laughs> it was functional. functional clothing. People would keep, keep stuff. And, and these are like Jinko or request jeans. And for oh, those yeah, request, of you yeah. guys that don't know what that is, just you can Google it, but it, there's extremely wide legged pants mm-hmm. from the top. And it, I think what made it famous originally were intended for, I think, skateboarders or roll, people that rollerblade. And I think uh, K pop at the time also had a little influence too. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah, because a lot of. All the girls back then, flushing. They all like. Oh Who was this popular K- K-pop? They were like the H-O- BTS of H-O-T. 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 <laughs> H-O-T. Yeah, they're like the BTS oh, of back in the day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, what was great about flushing and Chinatown, but flushing mostly, like they would have video stores, music stores. So they just didn't just sell Chinese music; they sell Korean. So then a lot of the Chinese people were like getting into the K-pop, you know. And then he's like, "Oh my God, who was this pretty boy with the long bangs and style?" And then all of a sudden. Us Asian Americans start imitating that style, and you see him wearing the lot, the wide and the over baggy. So it was kind of weird, you know. It's like, are we dressing as Asian Americans or K-pop? Right. But yeah. So then you got this whole section of Asians have this real old school look, tapered, mm-hmm. slim fit jeans. What's popular now? Yeah, right? it, yeah those funny. guys were ahead of their time. <laughs> it's coming back, right? Yeah, those guys were ahead of their time, and then you have this whole new. 
um, era of kids wearing big, wide-legged jeans, mm-hmm. long bangs, colored looking. You know, I, I think if people saw someone like that right now, they would kind of go like, "What the fuck are you doing?" It's funny. One of our actors uh, in a father son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you both saw it um, and stuff. Uh, Joey, Simon, except for Sean. I purposely asked them to get a new haircut because they all had long hair. Sean had this, uh, uh, Jang Ikin, uh, the actor from Hong Kong. Uh, he was in Young and Dangerous, uh, Gua Jai. I was like, he looks like Ikin Chen a little mm-hmm. bit with the hair. And then Joey had already this Jackie Chan old school haircut. So I went to say, hey, let's, I want to get you guys a haircut and mimic the style. So we went to the barber. And I asked the barber, like, do you remember the 90s? They're like, yeah. Remember the gold hair? You know, like, Fage Eye? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want you to do that. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they dyed it hair, kept along. They shaved the, the side a little bit. And um, Joey was rocking that in Chinatown for a while. And some of these old people were looking like, oh, like, yeah? yeah. But they recognized that it from repelled, that time. It repelled them. Like, it they repelled just, them, yeah. Like, it, it, they were like, just shocked, like, you bring this back and stuff. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you know, That's I think people listening, yeah. just hearing like, if they've never seen that look before. They go like, that looks weird or fruity or all this stuff. But I promise you guys, back in the day, it that cool. look, people would like get repelled. They would get, I guess, intimidated because they would know that a person that looks like that is likely to be affiliated and like you were saying, if you even make the wrong eye contact, they would attack you or mm-hmm. assault you for the, for any reason. That's part of the reason why they had this gang migration to to Queens and to you know other Elmhurst and Flushing was because of all the stuff that went down here in Chinatown and got so crazy that some gangs said like, okay, I'm going to Queens and I'm going to I'm going to start my own chapter in Elmhurst. You know, I'm going to go to Flushing. You know new territory and you know, I can't be here no more because they just we just too much fighting they just kicked us out it's too much heat yeah yeah. and, and I know it's a different genera- different time for saying this but back in the days all the guys from Chinatown would be like oh one of the reasons why they come to Queens like oh the girls are prettier I heard that before people were saying the Queens girls have more style they had more style they had more look mm-hmm. uh, but you gotta have a car, bro. <laughs> That's right. You did need to have a car. That, they didn't have the that seven, train. That they, seven train's not they didn't working. Have the seven back that, yeah. was, that was a hike. You're right, Henry. That's a hike. You're right, Henry. I mean, there were a few didn't have cars, but if you were a pretty boy, I and, dated a girl in Flushing. That was a hike. It was just once, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. Two hours round oh, trip. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not doing that again. And then yeah. you have to deal with all these rude people. And then this lady straight up just basically half sat on my lap because she just wanted to sit. Old lady, by the way, and I'm just like, I just got up, and then I got up, and I quickly regretted it because now I see why she did that. The train, I was packed in like sardine. It's funny, yeah, because I, I would never date a girl from Brooklyn at that time. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's too far. Oh my gosh, that's even worse. Yeah, from from Queens to Brooklyn, it's so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love our Chinatown girls. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, you can tell from back then, like like the guys dress differently, attitude, like you said, but, but even the girls, you know, like you can tell some girls from Brooklyn. Chinatown girls and girls from Queens, you know, because they really did dress differently. Like all black, the black lipstick, mm. um, the gold hair. Mm-hmm. You know, the all, that, that was the look in Queens. The, the flares. The flares. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 That was the look back then. That was definitely the look. Yeah. that's. I guess you can com- compare that to this day and age yoga pants, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It just yeah. kind of flares out. Hence the 
flares. Anyway, so, all right, so now you're, you're in that world, right? And you get encapsulated in this. I bet you're having a ton of fun, right? Meeting a lot of people. That's, the, that's one thing. And I don't want to romanticize it because there's this whole other part that comes, there's a cost that comes with that fun, yeah. right? I mean, there's no secret when, why they say that when you're, when you're in that world, you have one foot in the grave and one foot in jail. But let's talk about the fun part. <laughs> Obviously, there needs to be an attraction. And uh, so what is that attraction to that world? I, I don't know, man. I mean, like, I still even think about the past and like, why did I do that? Or why did I waste most of my youth just doing those, you know, uh, unresponsible things, but I think it's a camaraderie, you know. I think, for I mean, for myself, I can say most of my friends at the time, uh, it was kind of odd. They were all coming from divorced parents or single, raised by single parents, so they just went out. Uh, but for us, the fun part was just drinking, uh, and we knew people who had connection to bars, clubs, and uh, one of our mutual friends, he knew the party host so every time every friday night it's like let's go clubbing i was like oh we have to pay no 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 we'll cut the line like all right let's go you know let's pick up some girls if thing gets down we'll just you know toughen up and just start getting two fights whatever but the fun part was just getting stuff for free drinking with your boys and you know if you get into a fight and if you win then we go back to chinatown here go to noodle town 69 and then we just talk about the nights like oh yeah you, you know you punch him in the face so remember you do the ashtray in, in, in the guy's eyes you're like things got wild back then you would always know the group that got into fight noodle town is a restaurant and 69 is a, another restaurant mm-hmm. that um, used to be in chinatown mm-hmm. it was very popular 69 and um those were the hot spots because those were the restaurants that were still open so everyone that came from the club pretty much pouring into chinatown they didn't, they didn't even have to be asian it'd yeah. be anyone they just if they had a hankering for chinese food they just knew that there was a there's couple of spots still open down here and you're open but, four in the morning man but, and here's a crazy thing like i've i've seen like where, I, where i'm having like a late night dinner right and and one group comes in and then you can see like blood or ripped t-shirts right <laughs> yeah so i'm here's just like evidence. oh that person just got in a fight yeah yeah but here's the crazy part sometimes there'll be one group that'll come in that just finished fighting it and then they'll end up both at 69 yeah and then uh, uh is there a, a fight round two round yeah. two wow. it was crazy right around the corner is what the fifth precinct yeah. oh yeah, yeah right around the corner there were so many fights right in front of that restaurant and i destroyed and i feel like us the, uh, us asian men we're like we have so much amped up energy because you know we all know like we if you're raised by immigrant family you don't get to talk about cherry feelings or you know, break bread like you see on television. So there's a lot of amped up energy that you have consumed with you, and that's like a way to release. And I think that's why we get into a lot of fights, you know, just it's to a lot let of go. anger. Yeah, part of anger, man, you know. And, and, and here's the thing what a lot of people don't talk about a lot of these kids, like at that time, I don't know about now because hmm. I'm, I'm not growing up as a, as a teenager in this generation, but they were beat physically, like beat by their parents, mm-hmm. like hard. Like I had cousins. I had relatives that got beat so hard, like I would see scars on them the next day and their skin would be raised from getting whipped. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that I spoke with, I went to school with, they would, you would see them come into school like that across their face, arms, legs, and they were talking about. And I think that creates just a lot of negative, toxic energy. And then when someone does something to you, and you actually can hit back, you will hit back. But 
now you're amplifying. Yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Asians get into fights. But the fun part, it's so funny. Like, we're, I'm in my 40s, and, you know, those people I still hang out with, I still hang out with them. Now, now they're married, they have kids. Like, to it sum was, it all th- up, th- I think, I think it sounds it like trip. power and freedom. Yeah. Right? Because you were, you felt important. You mm-hmm. felt like you mattered in this world. Yeah. Right? And, um, and because of that, you felt like you just have access to all these places where you normally wouldn't. And then you could walk around now with your head held high because now I don't have to worry about people picking on me because they know if they do, they're going to have to deal with my buddies mm-hmm. or my big brothers, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I can understand it how at a young age that could be alluring, mm-hmm. right? Um, looking back at it, though, what are some of the, the things on the other side of it that... I mean, besides jail and death, like what are some of the, the, the parts side. where you go, okay, that wasn't so good. That wasn't so great. Um, seeing some of your friends in hospitals, getting stabbed, wounds, getting shot. Um, yeah, that, I think that's the worst. Like not death, but just seeing them injured, like showing the, that we're all Im- mortal. Im- Im- yeah, mortal. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, yeah, it's just like we got to be more extra careful. But then later, guess what? A month later, we're back to the same routine again. So the person that got shot, stabbed, is right back out there yeah, with you guys? Right back, yeah. Right back out. I mean, first, a little bit PTSD, uh, a little traumatized, but then after a while, back to the routine because what can you do? Go get a nine-to-five job? I got a friend who was stabbed. He was never the same again. Where, where did he got stabbed? He got stabbed in uh, the torso, and because of how they had to open him up, you know, to save him. You know, they had to open him up, so he's got the scar, like, like from here to here. And every time after that, we would go to the beach, and he couldn't, he would never take his t-shirt off. He Wait, was, was he? Was your friend associated or affiliated? No, no, no. We, it was he was innocent. A couple of these gang members came by. Well, we, you know, we're just sitting in a, on the block, and a couple of these guys came by, had a beef with one of his brothers. And it had nothing to do with me, you know. They said, go talk to my brother, you know. But they wanted to, you know, start something there. And my friend got knifed. Mm. And uh, those guys, you know, like, that, that was, they got away with it. Because, you know, even afterwards, when we went to talk to the cop at the 5th Precinct, because that's where we ran that night. And then he, he, they took him to the hospital. But a week or two down the line, the undercover cop said, you know, like, well, what do you guys want to do? I don't suggest that you press charges because it's, it's, it's only going to lead to retaliation for that and it's going to lead. So he kind A of, cop said that? Yeah, he kind of Don't talked. press charges because those guys might want to hurt you more? Yeah, he was trying to say, like, it will only bring more trouble, you know. And so in this case, we left it with kind of like, my friend, like, he was the victim. We're like, well, yo, what do you want to do? You know, you say the word, we, we go down. You know, everybody gets their shit, right? But he thought about it and he said, nah, let's, it ain't worth it. I'll just suffer it and whatnot, and, you know. It ain't worth it. Yeah, he, wow. he, he, he didn't want to see, like, see, it, I other mean, people, it, you know. I think when you're in that world, ah, that's, that's, that's a tough one, you know, because that, that guy's not affiliated. So it's not against the rules, 
right? He's not like, he's just an innocent guy that was unfortunately happened to be a victim. Yeah, he was just the nicest guy in the world. I mean, it, so far uh, apart from any of that. Violence. So did he end up moving out of the area? or He, like? he basically did. You know, he finished his education and, you know, um, I think he got married again after that, but you know, his life was never like wasn't the same guy. Mentally, he wasn't the same. No, it wasn't. Like, in in like, the worst way. No, in in the sense that you know he was a smart guy. He was still a smart guy. He became a professional. Um, and did he just become a hermit? He was a successful. He didn't become a hermit, but you know his life was just very like in a box. After that, I mean, he was successful and everything, and you know, he found a family. I guess he lived life extremely conservative, is what you're saying? Yeah, I think, you know, he, he made the most of it, and he still is successful. You know, he didn't let it beat him down. Good. Good for him. Yeah. I think that's the dark side. You know, you have an innocent bystander, you know, his, his brother, you know, I don't know if his brother was affiliated, but it's sort of like those stories don't get told. Like, that's the dark side of, of gangs. Like, the surrounding people who get hurt, you know. The community gets hurt. Well, yeah. they say that gangs usually prey on people in their own communities. Did you find that to be true? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I don't know why people extort... I mean, I don't know why the Asian gangs extort their own people, like restaurants. You know, like, oh, the extortion mean like, they go to the restaurant, order a bunch of food, and then the check comes, and then you got someone, like, associated with one of the gangs saying, well, I'm with so-and-so. If you give us free food or pay us a certain amount, like some kind of like a licey, like a red envelope, um, grease us a little bit, we'll protect you so no other gangs will touch his territory. Like some type of tuition. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the owners can't do anything about it, so they're like, all right, you know, if I pay this person or this gang, you know, at least we have some kind of protection, and this other gang will keep extorting us here and there. And then, you know, you got, it's sadly, you got uh, gangs uh, recruiting young kids, um, saying, hey, join our gang before they finish their ed- education. You know, and then those kids end up, like, loving the, the rush, the, the drill, and they just drop out of school, you know, like I did. You know, I dropped out of high school. It wasn't into, for me, I just wanted to hang out. Uh, I was just enjoying life, hanging out with my friends, uh, creating memories together, um, things like that. The dark side of that is why these people wanted to join the gangs. And if you look at the immigrant experience, you know that a lot of these young guys came over from Hong Kong. We're talking about the early 70s. And then by the time they were like 18 and 19, there's no jobs. You can only work in a restaurant mm-hmm. or work in a sweatshop. You know, everything's very limited. And, you know, and those jobs, are not everybody can get those jobs. That's why they put such a strong emphasis on education, right? Yeah. right? That's where it stems from, I believe, right? You know, don't end up like me working in a restaurant and in, in, in a sweatshop. I want you to be a lawyer, an engineer, right. uh, a doctor, someone that someone can look up to and then I can go back home into the village and, and tell them how great you are and our name is, is, is now, like there, there's some pride to it, right? Yeah. I, I think that's where it stems from. You're absolutely right. Well, the, the problem with that is is that they also had a language barrier. Their English was not that good. So, you know, 
where am I going to get a job outside of Chinatown? My, right. and, they, and they're coming here with no degree, to your point. Yeah, they're coming yeah. in. They're regular people. They're, you know, like, they're not college grads, you know, and they see where, what opportunities are here for them, and they're like, I'm not taking this anymore. You know, I'm going to do whatever I need to survive. And if that means, like, I'm going to take money from you, and I think what happened was that it backfired on the tongs. They said, well, we got these young kids, you know, let's let them, we, we use them for all the dirty work, you know, we get the 14-year-old, 15-year-old, let them carry the guns, you know, because the law is not going to prosecute them, you know, and we use these kids, you know, we'll give them a few bucks, you know, if we have a beef with somebody, we'll send them, squash the beef, you know, and, and then after a few years, these kids got smart. They said, we're doing all the work. We're doing all the dirty, hard, nasty work. We're carrying guns, and these old guys, you know, their days come. And when, and when they realized that, and they said, you know, here we are, there was no turning back. The towns couldn't do anything. The kids had guns. They all had guns. They ruled the turf. They knew, you know, they went to every restaurant. That's what happened with mm -hmm. that. It's like, you know, we're going to eat here for free. And, that, and that's all it is. So they became lawless even more to that point where they didn't even respect um, the people that put them on. No. They started realizing, like, why am I taking orders from you when I'm doing all the work? Right. right is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, so then what happened to the godfathers or the bosses? Did they just become irrelevant? Right? No, they, they basically did become irrelevant for, you know, they couldn't figure it out because here's the group you hired to protect your gambling house. And now... They're telling you they're going to protect your gambling house and what you're going to pay me now. It's not like, oh, you kids can hang out down there. You know, now they're in charge. They feel they're in charge and they see their power. So, so the, the, the crews, the young crews, are now extorting the, the tongs? Did that happen for a time period? Yeah, they were, they were in control. The tongs couldn't tell them what to do. And then it was just when... Let's say you had a tongue, you have Arn Leung over here, you have Hip Singh over there, and whenever they had a beef, then they would get the kids to fight each other. And after a while, they, they got smart with that too. And they're like, why are we fighting these guys? Say, you stay on Powell Street, you run your gambling houses. We stay on my street, that's our turf. You know? And, and that's when it really got, other crews came in and said, well, we want a piece of it too. You know, I'll be in and this guy, oh, you know, okay, my crew, we got six guys, we're going to take this, you're going to take that. And... That's what it all, you know, people start fighting all over the place. Over that, people got cut up and shot and stuff. And the, the losers would be like, well, we can't hang around here no more. We better go to Queens. You know, let's go to Elmhurst, you know, and we'll protect some gambling house out there and the Chinese gambling house out there because they all have one, Elmhurst, you know, for the people there. We'll, we'll make money off that and we'll... That's oh, how it was. And, that, and that's interesting. I, I, I thought it was because they were expanding their business. But what you're saying is uh, the, the gangs are, were expanding their business. But what you're saying is these are outcasts that were kicked out of the main Chinatown area. And then they, they went out, out of boroughs. Basically. Basically, that's what happened with, with, uh, with the ghost shadows. Yeah. Because, is that uh, what happened with them? Yeah, because with Abingo, with, with, uh, the crew, I'm not going to name his, you know, he got, he got shot. He got he, he you know Wait, who he, got shot? I'm not oh, you're not gonna name. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. The, leader of the, the leader. Yeah, you could say. Oh, you said the leader. You could say leader. Okay. 
Yeah, so he got shot, and and it was like that. Was, was this in the seventies, eighties? Yeah, it was in the seventies. Okay, it was like, okay, so you got a message. If you you know that's we're telling you, you know. But he survived. He got shot a number of times, but he survived. And he's you know he took all his people that was loyal to him, went out to uh, Queens. There it is again. And it became the White Tigers. Oh yeah. Also, oh, so that's how it it was birthed. That's one gang. Yeah, that's all. It's all fraction because like like other gangs. like even uh, TB Taiwanese boys like they all just break apart, form their own new gang and stuff like that. They weren't unified as one. Yeah, this Queen Soul Shadow. Would they help each other out, um, or would they say no? You're just you, do you there? I'm gonna do me here, and that's it. That that's basically what it was. I think they like, operated independently. Yeah, because they were on different turf now, so it's like you, you stay out there, you know. Don't come, don't come to Mott Street, you know, because we we'll shoot your ass. So if they had the same name, was there any relation? Well, they changed the name. It became the White Tigers. Yeah, but for me, like what you're saying, well, like when I hang out, I, was, I think I was hanging out with the Grand Street Dragons, uh, Flying Dragons, and then the Pell Street Dragons, uh, Flying Dragons came in. They kind of unified. I was like, at the time, I was like, aren't you the same gang? A different street like back then it was like oh we're Bayer Go Shadow Mott Street Go Shadow I was like isn't the same so yeah they were fraction but they call, classified as we're in this street territory and stuff like that was, but were they unified or did they look at each other as separate entities for me personally they were definitely not unified they were fighting at first and then like Henry said they got smart it's like why are we fighting each other if we unify we could overtake Flushing and overthrow the other gangs so you're saying the Chinatown gangs didn't matter who they were with, Flying Dragons, Ghost Shadows, they unified? Well, the Flying Dragons did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they w- took that power, mm-hmm. that consolidation, and went over to Queens to obtain more property? Property, uh, prosperity, whatever they want to call it, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things going on up there. You know, like you had a previous guest, Stephen Bishop, and those stories are true. You know, there are people like that. Which part of the stories from him was true? The people that he named. I think I know a few of them. Like the police officers he named? Police or? officers and some of the... Wait, the, so you knew some of the corrupt police officers he named? Uh, Yeah, I mean, those two famous ones. Like, I think one's Korean, one Chinese. So every time you hear them, you're like, oh, it's so-and-so. It's like, just be careful because they're very corrupted. You mm-hmm. know, if you get caught with them, forget it. They're going to put something on your ass like all oh, drug charges whatever just to get you so they can get the bigger fish mm-hmm. they both resigned by the way uh, no, I think one of them stayed and the lady got caught uh, no nah, they got fired yeah they got fired yeah cause but I, I heard they were still able to get like their pension, their pension yeah, yeah, and everything. They, the benefits they, and everything they kind of like retired before they dropped the hammer on them so yeah, I get my pension mm. I get my thing and then, whatever yeah. happened did, they, did the law ever catch up to them I don't think they did any time yeah I think they okay. had to resign you know they were Resign, lay low. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what was it like when you met them? Were, were like, were you shocked? I didn't. That you I saw. Didn't, I didn't meet like, those two cops. If you see a police officer there, wouldn't you go, whoa, 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 whoa? Like, that's not. No, we're just like someone I want to be around. No, we just disperse like cockroaches. Like, we see what's going on. We're like, we just leave. If it's like, ah, oh, shit, they're coming. Let's let's all break out. You know, like, oh, they're coming to the pool hall. They're gonna do a check to see if we have guns or drugs. Let's get out of here. Let's go to a pizzeria. Let's go to the movies and just wait it out and then come back two hours later. Um, I remember getting stopped by the police. Like, it's funny. It was me, two of my guy friends, and one of our girlfriends. Once she left, boom, the cop, you know, uh, 
hit the curb. You, 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 you. Go in the corner. And then they just pat us down. It's like, yo, you, you know anyone that sells guns and anything? I was like, what the fuck? You know, like one was white, one was Asian. So they try to get you to snitch on someone? Yeah. Okay. You know, and it's funny. We just snitched on the rival gang. It's like, I think I heard about this other gang. You know, I was like, you should check on them. Oh, that's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> smart, smart. Um, so I was like, doesn't that broke like break like a code where gangsters aren't supposed to? Oh, talk to cops or anything. So I'm like, hey man, I think you should check on so and so here, here and there. Yeah. Um, and they didn't find anything, so they let us go. But we're like, once the girl leave, they got us because you know they don't want no witness because they could do everything dirty, man, under the books. Mm-hmm. And dude, I will say this: when I when I did get uh, arrested, I did see the fucking phone booth in the corner of the interrogation. And you know about the phone booth that used that to hit they, you. They put it in front of so your, your chest or yeah, something. Yeah, like they, so it doesn't leave marks. Yeah. But it hurts like hell. Luckily, they didn't, didn't use that. Box. So how, how, how does that work? Can you explain it to the people listening? <laughs> I mean, look, I've heard stories. The phone booth. They, didn't, they didn't use it on me, for sure. I, my other friends, yeah. they got hurt with the phone booth. It's like, so it's basically a table, chairs, detectives mostly, because they're doing, not, not officers. Not uni- uniformed not officers. Uniform officers. So they put you in like so the crime unit under yeah, the cover, just like the interrogation rooms, like the see-through mirrors and stuff, which is true. And then they have this little shelf, this little shelf, hover shelf, with the fucking phone booth, phone book, yeah, yeah, phone book. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. are they gonna hit me with that? But of course they didn't, thank God. But what they do is they put the phone book on your body, they'll punch it through so they can get that impact, or. They might use their clubs or a hammer, mm. things like that. So Hit it against the mark. phone book. Yeah, but oh. you're just going to feel the impact of it. Oh, know? they would put it like next to your face your or something. Face, oh, your face, wow. your stomach, whatever. So. Okay. And just full on blast you with yeah. like... I always thought it was the chest or something, like but they actually put it against your, 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 your head, your yeah, face, your head. everywhere. Yeah, everywhere, yeah, man. Oh. They can do anything. Um, it's like padding, you know? And then they all that's whack dirty. you. Whack you good. Yeah, uh, that's dirty. Henry, you know something about that? Just the way he described it. I never got one on me. I was never, I never got caught like that. But yeah, they would lay right the, the phone book right up in your head. Oh, <laughs> the, on top boom. of your head or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they wow. would whack you and whack you. That dirty. And it would hurt. When I saw that, I was like, Jesus Christ! It's just like what my friends and the movies described. And I was like, please don't touch me with that. But I had to play it dumb, and I was very surprised. They knew all my friends' names. They had mugshots of them, and I had to lie my, I had to lie my ass off. I didn't snitch at all. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. Um, but then the person I got caught with, I found out afterwards he snitched. Yeah, yeah. Was this a friend? Not anymore. Not friends. <laughs> while but at that time, you guys were close. Yeah, he was part. He was part of our crew. You know. Um, I saw. Like he sang like everything. I saw the written statement. Hmm. Signed oh. written statement. He 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 dropped names. I was like motherfucker because we had the same lawyer and the lawyer gave it to me because. I asked for it. It's like, did he write anything, say anything? He's like, yeah, he did. Were you shocked? Not really, because he's he was a selfish person. Mm. Did I? Do I know him? Maybe, but, but I don't think so. I don't think so. He stopped hanging out with us uh-huh. uh, quite a, a while back. Okay. And he got stabbed too. He got stabbed, and yeah. that traumatized him. And oh, he did, he didn't want to associate. But then he likes that power. He likes to hang out with the girls. He likes the, the the freebies. But when it comes to like loyalty and fight, he was like, no, I gotta go. I gotta. Go somewhere. I got to pick up my mom. Any excuse. Like it really fucked up his his mental mm-hmm. state. Really, I, yeah. I would. I mean, I've heard people got hurt. They go the other way, where they become more uh, dedicated to that life, oh, rather uh, than take a step uh, back. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Because the people that were hurt, like you said, like you were assaulted. Like for example, you, mm-hmm. you were assaulted, you were jumped, right? Mm-hmm. And and you didn't like that feeling of being bullied and helpless anymore. Mm-hmm. So then you went into it. You leaned into that life hundred uh, percent because of that. You know that was a um, the uh, the initial catalyst to what made you choose that lifestyle at that young age. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people getting bullied, either shot, stabbed, um, there's, I think there's two types of personalities. I think there's one that said, like, like you, they're just extremely traumatized and they run from the fire. They, they, don't, they, they got burned. They don't want to know what it feels like anymore. And then you have the uh, other type that wants to burn back, that wants to get everyone back by any means possible. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't want to feel that fear again. So they really go all in on this life. Yeah, kind of like you. I won't say that. I mean, there's other tough motherfuckers out there that. Will... I'm not saying you're the toughest guy. <laughs> no, I'm not. But what I'm saying yeah. is that you felt that you had that PTSD, that type of trauma, and then instead of running away from it, saying I'm going to avoid this, um, you, you, you leaned into it more. Yeah, and you, you you seeked out a network. Yeah, and and then you know when I got caught, I just step took a step back, and you know my family told me like, hey, either you get a get a job, go go to school. So I, it was a life decision. Was like, so I went back to school. I got my GED, went to college. But I did stay away from my friends a little bit. And luckily, those guys understood. You know, They're like, you know what, just get your things done. And they accepted me. So I'll come back, hang out with them, go to the club. That's rare. That's yeah, rare that you get a group of guys that understands that you, you are leaving them to go to school. Yeah. Above all things, school. Yeah. Yeah. Were, were, were there any type of uh, animosity from from anyone at all? Of course, I think some of them didn't trust. So like uh, they didn't the trust you anymore for temporary. Uh, but the one that got stabbed um, that I mentioned, I don't want uh, to say his name. They didn't trust him at all, at, at all. Um, they kind of shunned him a little bit. Wait, they still let him hang out, knowing that he ratted everyone I, out. I, I didn't tell him because I, if I did, he would would have killed him. Oh wow! Oh, uh, the person that you know that. The, the tough guy that you know, you might know, his name was on it. If I told him, he would definitely would have done something to him. Bad. You know. But eventually he just phased out. He uh He disappeared. He like Yeah, know. he disappeared. Yeah. And but after looking back, he wasn't a good friend, you know. Yeah. Uh very conniving, very mm-hmm. selfish. But it is what it is, you know. You you're talking about camaraderie. And a lot of people feel that way. It's all good when it's fun and games, but when the chips are down and it's either you or me, they're going to most likely throw you under the bus mm-hmm. in order to save themselves. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people to really digest. Because in that life, you're taught, right? Even you see in the movies and, and, uh, and if you watch like documentaries about this stuff, a lot of people are taught like, hey, this is family. This is the brotherhood. I got your back, ride or die. Right? We're so many like different mm-hmm. sayings, like you know, us to the end, man. We ain't never gonna stitch that some sucker shit, and all this other. You, you know, we get girls, we get power, we get everything, and we're promised all this glory, and then eventually, it it it's not what it seems, right? I mean, listening to you, you're saying like someone that could be as close as we are, end up turning on you in order to save their own hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it sounds like that's a normal theme. Is that fair to say? 
Some, I mean, other people would not say anything. You know, there were some people they'll they really live and die by the cold. Yeah, they'll keep them mouth shut. Now, which one's more rare? The keeping the mouth shut. Yeah, okay. the snitches. There's there's a lot. I guess that's a more rare personality trait. Yeah, and plus, my friend told me when I when I started hanging out, they're like, if you ever get caught, don't say anything. Ask for a lawyer. Lawyer up because what's the point of snitching? You get you're just gonna put yourself in more. In deep shit, yeah. in deep trouble. With both groups. Yeah, both. With the law and, yeah. Yeah, so I learned from that, but from that person, oh, I was just shocked. I mean, he did cry. Like, surprised. He cried, and first thing he mentioned was his mom and his girlfriend. I was like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, if you're gonna cry, you're gonna get, you're gonna get raped in jail, dude. And he's a pretty boy. He was a pretty boy. Um, and we did go to Rikers for a little bit. They split us up. That's the thing. Like, they you just, went to Rikers with him? Yeah, yeah, we went to Rikers. Uh, not too long. Like, it was just like... Like a holding? Like a holding for a little okay. bit. Um, but but if they you can hold you for a while, usually. No, they hold you like a, a week or two if you don't get bailed out. Like, you, once you don't get bailed, oh, yeah. they assign you to a block or something. Um, so, yeah, they split us up. And fucking, I hate this. All the blacks and Hispanics looked at me. Hey, yo, yo, you, you know Kung Fu? You know, you know martial art? And... What was your answer? You know what? Even the, uh, my crew, my, my, my friends, just say yes. I would say yes in a heart, even if I didn't know. Yeah, I do, I do yes, MMA, motherfucker. I do all this shit, taekwondo, yes, black belt, black belt across the board. I know, I know that Bruce Lee shit, that Jackie Chan, black belt, black belt. Yeah. So because if you say no, then I'm like, this motherfucker don't know how to fight. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. You know, I have a story, something along the lines. But my friend wasn't in jail. He was, um, and this is like not gang related, but it is related to what you were saying. So my friend is out. Um, he's he's smoking a cigarette. They were teenagers, right? Um, he this is a, a story he told me. He was out. And he lives in Brooklyn. He was out having a cigarette right in front of his stoop, right? And he's having with this uh, one of his other friends, and and uh, they're just smoking a cigarette. Some guy comes up to them. Ew, ew. Um, can I get a bum a cigarette off of you? And they were like, Yeah, cool, no problem. End up giving him a cigarette. They start a casual conversation. They talk really nicely, and uh, it looks like they're being buddy buddy with each other, smoking. Wait, but the person who asked was he Asian or not? No, he was black. Okay, okay. Right, so he's going there. He's casually talking, you know, just real smooth, right? And he's like, "Oh, it's cool," you know, all getting along. And then he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then he's like, "Yo, since you let me up, I got some weed. You know, I got I got this joint. You wanna you wanna smoke with me?" They were like, "Oh, hell yeah, cool, man." Lights it up, gets them nice and high, and he goes. Yo, real quick, um, y'all know karate or stuff like that? Y'all know kung fu and shit? Y'all know I fight? They're like, nah, man, we don't do that shit, man. Just because we're Asian, we're trying, we don't, nah, man, we don't mess with that. And he goes, oh, how about you? How about you? He's like, nah, man, just because I'm trying, not all of us know kung fu, man. Don't believe that stereotype. He's like, cool, cool, cool. All right, yo, both of you, let me get all your shit. You know, you know what's funny? Uh, I think I told you this story last time, but it wasn't recorded. Uh, how I got or proved myself to uh, my, you know, in the gang or whatever you want to call it. Let's say, I'll just say crew, with my crew. Um, that same person that snitched us out, he's the one who introduced me to them. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. And like, so I was like, you introduced me, but then you end up to be this person. Anyways, uh, I'll just call him Brian. So I'll just put some content. So I met up with Brian in, in uh, Flushing. And Brian was acting so weird. He just came out of the train station. And he's like, follow me, follow me. I was like, all right, where are we going? He's like, I got to go to uh, uh, the, the Busy Bee Mall, which is like a little storefront with like little shops selling jewelry, pawning, whatever. And you, back then you can buy your knife, pepper spray. 
So he's trying to sell his chain. I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And we kept walking, and this tall black guy came up. He's like, yo, I've been following you since 74th Street. When you got paid me? I was like, what, what's going on here? And he's like, he's mugging me. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, you, why didn't you tell me like someone's following you or whatever? And this is, I'm, you know, I'm not associated with anyone, but I did get picked on. It was like after I got picked on by Ghost Shadows. So I told, I told Brian, what's going on? And Brian's like, uh, I'm sorry, I tried to sell my chain. I can't do it. Um, I don't have any money on me. And he looks at me. I saw you counting your money. Like, give me your money. And I said, I'm not giving you my money because I got paid that day. I was working at a, like a daycare center. So I cashed my check and I got some money. And while we were out, me and Brian, we were going to our girlfriend's recital in Bayside. So we were like going to take a bus and meet our girlfriends there. So he stopped us. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not going to get picked on again. This is bullshit. You know, I got mugged. I got picked on by Ghost Shadow. I am not going to let this guy rob me. And plus, it's two against one. So it's funny. I had this. I stole cue ball, a white cue ball, and I put a bandana on it. Because at that time, I couldn't afford a, a knife or pepper spray. A proper weapon. <laughs> yeah. Because one of my friends from high school, he, he was actually, a, I think he was TB. And he told me, you know what's the best weapon, Pat? I was like, what? It's cheap and it's uh, very efficient. I was like, what? Get a nice bandana and put a cue ball in it. And then just tie it up and just someone I was like that's interesting so I actually took a cue ball stole it put it in my pocket and my tiny bandana and I carried me since so I busted it out and I was like uh, no you're not gonna rob us and he looked at me he's like what you holding he's like don't worry about it like I'm just gonna hit you with it and he said you know what you got balls kid I like that alright I'll let you go but I'm gonna beat up your friend <laughs> what <laughs> so I was like uh, yeah uh, and I looked at Brian's you like, got oh. some balls on you. And That's like, some interesting reasoning. Yeah, and and then Brian just looks stunned, like, "What? What is Patrick gonna do?" I was like, "No, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna leave Brian here alone with you." I was like, "Dude, uh, I got eleven bucks. I mean, I had like a hundred. Like, here, here's some. Here's eleven bucks. Like, whatever's. You know, just let's get out of here. You know." He's like, "Oh." He took it, and he's like, "All right, all right." All right. And he's kind of stepped back. We we stepped back like this, looking at each other, but walked away backwards. And then next thing you know, I was like. Yo, Brian, don't ever do that. Like, you're okay. Like, why did you put us in danger? And he was kind of shocked. And I was like, fuck. And he was just thinking, like, how he's going to react to his girlfriend. And I was just playing it cool. And then next thing you know, after recital, Brian came up to say, hey, you know, I like how you stood your ground. Um, I rolled with this crew, so-and-so, in uh, Brooklyn Tech. It was, actually, they all went to Brooklyn Tech. And they're like, do you want to roll with us? I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like. I'll hang out with you guys. And that's when I start getting to that lifestyle. You know what's crazy? I hear like a lot of these stories. I was watching this documentary about Asian gangs in the West Coast. And the stories I hear on the East Coast, they're very parallel. Like You get a lot of these kids that are super unassuming. You would never think that they were, um, like they fit that type. When you think of a gang member, you know, you think of a big tough guy with a huge resume of, of violence and, and a long rap sheet. But the other ones I hear is like, these guys are in specialized academic programs for, higher, for, for um, people that are gifted and talented and straight A students attending classes and then they moonlight as a gangster. It's true. Um, That's insane. It's true. And they um, don't look the type. Like, these guys will have no tight tattoos, a very a low-key haircut that's not too mm-hmm. high up there in the fashion chart. It's just very chill. 
yeah. and they're connected or they're part of like they're, they're one of the top guys i didn't know him personally but uh he was the leader of tb taiwanese boys uh my friend was part of that crew and he told me about him he's like yeah straight a students very smart he run the books he operated it and he got the money and everything so there were there was people like that just very smart and how is that to. done by design so that they can pl- hide in plain sight yeah absolutely smart ones for sure and like can we said they're the one who i won't say went against their dialogues but they were just smart enough how to delegate what to do and you know what they end up to be more successful you know uh as a gangster or in life or in both? life you it's know like, a like, like after gang life yeah after gang life. like moving back into society yeah like well one or blending the, back in. but they were always blended in so that transition might not have been difficult right well one of them I could say he's an, he was an FD. Uh, he was the leader, very tough guy. I think he had some tattoos. But he, when we were hanging out, he's like, I'm going to college. I'm taking business classes. I was like, wow, you're the dialogue taking business. This is remind me of that, that TV show, The Wire, Idris Elba's character, going back to school, getting his education. And now, from what I heard, he uh, does real estate with people from China. So he doesn't have to live that game life. They know like if you don't get that proper education, you're going to go back to the factory, the restaurants. You're going to work that nine-to-five job, even a truck driver. So they didn't want that. They want to live that good, comfortable life. How do they got to do that? By just hustling their money, but doing it smart. It, it amazes me that people that are that smart academically choose to go into that lifestyle. And some would argue, if you're that smart, how can you make a decision that's so dumb? Right, a lot of people will think it's dumb to try to enter a life like that because you're asking f- to. It's only a matter of time until you get in trouble with the law or with another rival. So how can someone that smart be so dumb? I won't say dumb. Well, I think it was. But just, it's just. For, for, I'm not saying that they're dumb. No, right? no, no. Because I'm, I'm not saying you're dumb. No, no, I know that. I'm just saying. But I'm, I'm saying what other people may think, right? Because. I mean, here's a straight-A student, someone that you would probably hire in a heartbeat or, or accept into a, a certain college, right? But at the same time, this person's out here doing illegal stuff and hurting other people, assaulting them, and, and fighting for territory. Because think about it. If, if they're straight-A students and after they finish their school, get the diploma, who are they going to work for? They're going to work for the white guy because there was not much opportunities back there. They're not going to be CEOs you know, with that background. So why not get that hustle side money you know then why do it in the first place then because again if you know it's not going to work out why would you invest your time in something that's not going to give you a return on investment i don't know i mean it's different personality but i can say back then there was not much opportunity for asian americans you know to get the job they want like it's different now you see some people are ceos of this and that i mean look at one of the co-founders is youtube uh you know all these some of these Asian Americans, they are CEOs now. Back then, it wasn't, you know. Uh, it's true what Henry said. I think they just don't want to live their parents' footsteps, you know, uh, this working nine-to-five job, which is why you said they're pressuring us to become a doctor, engineers, lawyers, you know. Even my parents, like, if you can't, my fam can't, if you can't get a decent just become a mailman. I was like, I don't want to be a mailman. Right, right. You know. You know, in my experience, like, some of the folks that... Um, I met growing up and the stories I hear I think a lot of it is just goes back to what you were saying just like the power just the thought of like I can go around and 
and just not have to look over my shoulder. And that's, that's the assumption, but you actually have to look over your shoulder more, right? And I think the second thing is having a sense of family. Because a lot of these people do come from broken homes or from abusive homes, right? And when they get an opportunity to get that sense of where they feel loved, you know, you're not going to get it from home. You're going to get it from, you're going to find it somewhere else, right? I think, what's that saying? If, if you fail to raise your parent, or if you fail to raise your kids, somebody else will. And I think a lot of these immigrant parents are not only just for Asians, but, um, uh, across the board where they're working most of the time right so they're they don't have time to really teach them the right way and what's wrong and you know all they can do is put a roof over your head and food on the table and a bed to sleep on and that's that's their way of parenting mm-hmm. and that tends to backfire a lot because those kids need more than just a roof over the head meal they they need guidance. much more than that. Yeah. They need guidance. resources. They need education. They need love. They need hugs. And in Asian families, even ones that are, are wealthy, right, that came from good homes, not broken homes, uh, how many times do you hear, like, um, this is meme with, with Shang-Chi, right? Like saying the, the fakest part of Shang-Chi's was, was when... Um, the mother. The mother says, I'm proud of you. <laughs> right? And, and how many Asian parents, right? Or maybe you guys can relate to a firsthand experience where they, they can't tell you to your face, like, I love you, or I'm proud of you, and you're amazing. I think you're doing great. Right? That, that, that emotional support, that verbal, that, that right in your face. Um, I think that's what's lacking a lot. And when you grow up without that, you get so hard. But when someone outside gives it to you, mm-hmm. you're like, huh? Huh? What did you say? I'm cool? You, you, you think this shirt looks cool on me? Especially as a guy, because we don't get complimented at all. Right? So another guy says something cool about you, or they say, yo, Patrick, I got your back. Right? Oh, yeah? Because uh, I've been bullied. I've been hurt. You, you're you're going to be with me? Like, yeah. oh, shit, man. Like, Fuck yeah, then. You know what? Yeah, we're each other's dogs. Like, I got you too then. You it's know? like and, a scent. And, yeah. and it does, as an adult, that sounds absurd. But when you're 14, maybe not, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking for a sense of family. And if you're not getting that from where you're coming from, then you got to look for it elsewhere, you know? Yeah. I'm still waiting for that from my family. Let's just say I love you. <laughs> so you can. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think all of us have that you know what <laughs> I, I will say that my dad and my mom has caught up with the times. my mom tells me um she loves me well, i could i could see it's hard was that her. before or after the kids when you had kids um sometime um because i feel like once you become a parent, when i got a job oh when you got a job okay that's when i became a full-time worker i think that's when she was like you're an adult yeah i could you know, say I started feeling a little bit of that when when I went to college, mm-hmm. right? She teared up, she choked up a little, she held back tears of me leaving the house. Um, but when I got a job, and she was like, "All right, he's gonna be okay. Okay, he's gonna he's not gonna work in a sweatshop. He's not gonna work in a restaurant." Mm-hmm. He, I think that's one of her biggest fears for me that I would be a loser in her eyes, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what made her so hard towards me. But when she saw that, I think she just kind of took a step back and go, "I think he's gonna be okay. I did my job." And um, I, I could now focus on myself. And I watched her become more like a child, like just more loose and chill, yeah. way more relaxed in life than, than just a big stressor, right? Um, and then my father, um, he told me he was proud of me. 
when I got a job. So this is, I think once you start figuring out ways of making an income, um, well, at least for or just me, just becoming an adult, it, it made know? my parents go, okay, he's not a, he's not a child anymore. He grew yeah. out of all that bullshit, you know, like cartoons or, or being out with friends all day and basketball all day or whatever it is. Right. I think my parents like, okay, he's turning into a man. I'm seeing this. And then it's like, I think each milestone, they just, they just felt more proud. The walls came down at yeah. each level. Yeah. I think that's what happened for mm. at least in my experience, but I did for the first 20 something years of my life. Yeah. yeah it was very difficult. I was like, do you guys even love me? Like, geez, like, <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you, man. I think, uh, I think for Asian independent artists like myself and a couple of actor friends, you know, I think we haven't got that because, you know, we're struggling to create art and we're not getting paid for the big bucks to, you know, like for the, for our family to recognize like, oh, they can hold a job because they're working at so-and-so like a studio. They don't see that way, you know, and it's tough. But you're right. Your friends do compliment. Like all my friends are proud of me for my, when I'm, what I did. They're like, yo, I'm I'm surprised you're working with so-and-so and and you got to adapt Henry's book. And even though Henry and I, we're not related or anything, but even to hear Henry say he's proud of me for what I've done for him, that's even touching. Those are the good ones. Yeah. yeah. Those are the good ones Mm -hmm. that you can, that you have friends that actually root for you. Because here's a lot of things, correct me if I'm wrong, how many people do you guys know that where they secretly root against you? Or maybe not so secret. Right, that are close friends or even relatives of yours. Right, they can't. Your success is shining a light on them, and they and they compare the two, and they go, "Well, I don't like that." You know, who, who's Patrick? Thinking he's all big and bad, he's going to do this, and then he's there. He's looking at maybe he doesn't really like hate you, but it shines a light on what they're doing, and then they start hating, mm. right? and it's like crab in a bucket mentality. Right, it's like who are you to? to go get married and find a girl and get a college degree or make a film like and secretly maybe they want a girlfriend themselves maybe they want to get married maybe they want to make a film yeah and then you're so close like how does this guy get everything how, how come this guy's always lucky right now i hear that a lot i hear that a lot when i'm with certain people someone else is doing something and i'll hear a comment where they go how come that guy is so lucky or they'll go um, that guy thinking all that this is not even that good that person needs to see therapy right <laughs> it's true uh, I did hear people say how the hell did he get time on Ronnie so and so and I don't know them I don't care but that's that's say. Ronnie Chang the comedian right? yeah Ronnie Chang and Tai Ma and mm-hmm. and, and Tai Ma is America's Asian, Asian father and Henry's right. homie <laughs> Henry, yeah he's, he's there for those of you guys listening he's the guy that played um, Mulan's dad or everyone right. knows him as uh, the guy from Rush Hour. Yeah, but that's an older movie. The, the younger people listening may not. Yeah, yeah the TikTok generation probably yeah. doesn't know. <laughs> well, Henry, that's very true. They might not know, but yeah. Here's a guy, Tai Ma, who I've known many, many years. And if, if I had said to him all those years ago that one day you're going to be the most recognized Asian-American actor in this country he would have been like what are you smoking man let me get some of that <laughs> and here he is today time uh, rush hour um, a number of other farewell big, Mulan, big films farewell yeah. kung fu yeah. I and a, a father son yeah. yeah that's very good lucky boys podcast
Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.